Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Jesus, Dietrich, and Me, episode number 107, 107. Good to be with you once again as we are moseying ever so, you say rapidly, Pastor Jim, mm-hmm. in, uh, in Advent towards, towards Christmas. Spiraling. Death spiral is what it's called. <laughs> Death spiraling. There's good things. We finally got our Christmas tree up at Family of God yesterday, which was good. Tell the truth, we got two up. We do have two up. That's right. This is probably the first time that we've done two. Next year there'll be three, and then who knows? I don't. I don't think so. But it was good to have good to have that one up. I know we had a our Sunday school teacher, uh, Miss Heather. She said to me. On Sunday, she says, "She says, is there going to be a Christmas tree this year? Because next week's activity is making Christmas ornaments. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, we should probably put up the Christmas tree. So, um, uh, Well, no. nobody would do it my way. I wanted it in the elevator. You wanted it in the elevator. That is true. Where's the Christmas tree? Oh, just push the up button. <laughs> That's right. And then you'll, then Look you'll quick. See it. There goes the door. Right, right, right. That's funny. Yes, so we uh, have it up. And we are looking forward to, well, maybe some of us are looking forward to Christmas. So uh, last week we talked about Advent. We talked about a slightly different idea of Advent. Uh, Bonhoeffer's idea of Advent being more, is apocalyptical the right word? We talked about how in the manger is not just, is not just our Savior and the love and compassion of God, but in the manger is actually your judge. And it's the beginning of the apocalypse. It's the beginning of the end. Because this baby will die, rise, ascend, and is absolutely coming back. And for those of us in faith, that's an exciting day. For those of us that aren't in faith, that's a day to dread. We'll come to dread, yes. Come to dread, right. So today we're going to be... Back in a book that we haven't been in for quite some time. This is, uh, we spent some time early in the podcast talking through the collected sermons of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, edited and introduced by Isabel Best. There's not a translator. Is that who translated it to? Don't know. Okay. Um, but it's a book that we've used. It's a bunch of different sermons from a bunch of different occasions, um, and I think we've done most of them in here, but there was one that as I was kind of looking through it and kind of thinking about Advent, and I thought, you know what, this one might actually work. So this sermon that we're going to look at today was given in Barcelona, April 15th, 1928. So this is actually Bonhoeffer's Easter sermon, I'm sorry, first Sunday after Easter. But I think that the message, I think that the text, I think that all of this is still, (laughs) to quote Deacon Ron, I think it's poignant. (laughs) I think it's pertinent to, uh, to, it's, it's still very much applicable to Christmas. And so kind of the Advent message of Emmanuel God with us. So the title of the sermon is God with us. And so Bonhoeffer is going to talk about what is the importance of having Jesus in our midst. And so 
we'll talk through that. But I think it's time to dive into follies before we get any further. So, Pastor Hill, would you like to kick off this week with our follies of the week? Well, I don't know if this... I'm going to get to a folly, but I think we should uh, mention that today is December 7th. Indeed. Pearl Harbor Day. Pearl Harbor Day. Only surpassed by... 9-11 9-11 as, as far as sneak attack casualties, so... Yeah. Uh, national tragedy, maybe? National tragedy, yeah. It's so far from young people's minds now, but when I was growing up, people, parents, had actually lived through this, so it was much, it's much more um, real to me than, you know, yeah. four generations later, it's just another history thing, you know, but... There's still lessons to be learned, like this one more case of uh, military intelligence being, uh, well, anyway, we we knew they were going to attack. We knew almost to the day when they were going to attack, we just had the wrong place, yeah. the was wrong 19, time. Was that 41? 41, so this would be yeah. 61 years, right? 61 years yeah. is when that happened. Wow. We even, I was just reading, we even sank a submarine outside of the entrance to Pearl Harbor, a Japanese submarine, but then uh, the official intelligence people said, no, you didn't. So they didn't, they didn't take the, the warning. And they so, fact check? Yeah. Well, you know, how do you fact check a sunk submarine? I mean, it's at the bottom of the ocean. Uh, did it sink or not? <laughs> yeah, actually, 60 years later... It, the article said 60 years later, they found the stupid thing. But we had ample warning. We thought they were going to attack the Philippines. Um, but no. And if you were a student of Japanese history, you would know that that's how they defeated the Russians in the Russo-Japanese War, turn of the century, is a sneak attack on the Russian fleet. Uh-huh. Sank it all in one bold, bold move and... Uh, Anyway, sad. My folly is a newly elected senator from Georgia (laughs) who a couple days ago said on the air, I'm a minister. I'm in the business of truth-telling. Aha. Ah, good. And I'm thinking, how can you be a Democratic senator and say to me, you're in the business of truth-telling? let alone the gospel he preaches, by the way. That's another whole subject. It, he's got one of the more woke gospels out there. But, yeah, to claim the mantle of Christ, to uh, underline your truth claims, and I think the emphasis is on the word of claims is, wow, that's folly. Could, could that be uh, Raphael Warnock? That could be the guy. Yeah, why don't you tell, tell us the truth about how you treated your wife? Oh, sorry, never mind. Yeah, that Shouldn't doesn't said that. His wife said he should never be believed or allowed to be in public office, but who believes the wife? Mm. So that's my I feel, my like, folly. I feel like I don't want to say Don't, want to say don't tread too carefully here, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Um, that's a good one. Yeah, the complete hypocrisy of all of this just to get an extra seat in the Senate because this was, with this election, uh, it's number the Democrats 51, officially right? take 51, exactly. Yeah. So, so they don't uh, have to trot the vice president out every time. Yeah. Yes. Mine, my folly is racially charged. 
So are you ready for this one? Oh, God. Okay. An article on December 5th, 2022. Researchers say that Discovery's, the Discovery Channel, Discovery's programming overwhelmingly featured white men as experts while emphasizing negative messages about sharks. About sharks? <laughs> so okay. the, title, the title of the article is Shark Week Lacks Diversity, Overrepresents Men Named Mike. <laughs> oh this is goodness. a real article. This is a real article on, I don't know exactly where it's at. It was a, the, morning, the morning mix. I don't know what that means, but it was an, it's an actual article that's published by a guy named Daniel Wu, W-U, that essentially claiming that Shark Week is now racist. Of course, everything is racist. But because anyway. everything is racist. I'm surprised they haven't come after the great white shark. Shame on you. Okay. <laughs> that's all you got? I mean, there's the black tip shark. Um I feel like there's, I feel there's like there's gray sharks. probably, I don't know if there's gray sharks. There, there, oh, there are, probably is, yeah. whale sharks. There's, uh, I mean, hammerhead, that's, I mean, that's, I feel like that's, what do they call ableist? We were talking about that a couple of weeks ago. Oh my gosh. Hammerhead shark is probably ableist. Um, there's got to be something oppressive about a tiger shark, right? Or a bull shark. Uh, whatever. I, I, I hate people. I hate people. Are, are you... Do you have absolutely nothing else to talk about except the racism of Shark Week? Get a life. <laughs> Whatever gets you a little Ugh. blip on your uh, social media, I that's suppose. what's really Hey, fun. we're talking about it, and so... Yeah. Anyway. All right. Let's, S- let's get into the article here. To the sermon? Yeah. Or the sermon. Sorry. I think um, because it's an Easter sermon, maybe we should step back a little bit and talk about the Incarnation. Because sure. his theme is is God with us, Christ with us, God with right. us. Uh, but he doesn't, in this context, talk about the incarnation, which is, as I was thinking about how to say this, um, the essence of Mormonism, you can write me if you like, is man becoming God. Mm-hmm. When the essence of Orthodox Christianity is God becoming man, the incarnation. When it says God with us, as he discusses in the sermon, the um, underlying truth is he became us in Christ. I don't think we actually talk and think and preach enough about the incarnation. No, I agree. So what what is the significance to all of that? Why is it, why is it important that we preach that? Why... Why would the incarnation mean anything to the average Christian? Because I agree with you. I, um, y- you hear, it's almost like you hear messages, especially from non-Lutheran churches, but even to some degree there's a flavor of it within the Lutheran churches of, yeah, we, we have now counted ourselves equal with God when it's actually the opposite. It's not that we have ascended to God. God has condescended to us. God has lowered himself and humbled himself and made himself one of us. And one of us is corrupt. It's sinful. 
It's gross. It's disgusting. And yet that's what God decides to do is to assume the human flesh of which he will become the greatest sinner that ever walked the face of the earth. We don't talk about that ever. No. I feel like. So I, the best place, I, this is scary, but we're going to actually read the Bible in part of the podcast. <gasps> okay. Philippians 2, ah, verse yes. 5. That would be the Christ, the infamous Christ hymn. Yeah, so grammar matters. And so. Um, <laughs> like, let's eat grandma? Yeah. So listen. Not let's eat grandma. I'm going to read let's it. Let's eat grandma. Read it slowly. Pay attention to who is the actor and who is the receiver of, of action, right? So you said Philippians 2, verse 5, five through 11, right? Right. So have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Okay. Now start listening for the who's doing what to whom. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the heart of the incarnation. Mm-hmm. And so just in case you didn't catch it, he emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. Um, he was, he humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death. The only things that are passive are things that happened to Jesus was being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. Everything else is something that he willingly uh, took on. He he chose and uh, he was the actor in in that section. That's the incarnation. Mm-hmm. Um, Can you say that... So you said he chose to do this, and I agree with you. But isn't there a sense of also he had to do this? Not I'm saying, if you, I'm saying that I'm saying that for the listener because yeah, I've heard that I've heard that said before. Not if you mean he is compelled to do it against his will. Against his will, right? Yeah, he chose to be obedient. Right. Right. He but chose it, to same, obey the Father. Yeah. So. Well, we've talked about we've talked about compassion before, and how when when God acts out of compassion, whether it's Him, Him the Father, or the Spirit, or the Son specifically, using that compassion, He has no choice but to do it. But He does it willingly, so He has no choice but to raise the the widow of Nain's son. He has no choice but to feed the five thousand. He has no choice. But to, you know, the, the Good Samaritan has no choice but to do that. That He's filled with that kind of love where he has no other option. But he does it out of that love for you. But I also think that there's a part of the thing that sometimes gets overlooked, at least. Yes, God chose to do this. But he also understood that there was no other way to redeem mankind. And so there is a sense of... If I'm going to redeem mankind, which I'm going to choose to do, it can only be done this way, right? Yeah. It ha- it, there's no. There's literally no other way. It has to be this way. It has to be God becoming man so that he can die 
and be the perfect sacrifice. Would that be fair to say? So it's one of those, we, as Lutherans, we love living in tension, right? Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things where he chose to do it, but he had to do it. (laughs) But not in the sense of compelled. If he was compelled by anything, it was love. Sure, right. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. So, yeah, and again, from all eternity, this was the plan. This is not, this is not some, oh, look at them, they actually believed a stupid snake. Now I'm going to have to, <laughs> right. you know, this was always the plan, and we don't understand that at all. But, uh, yeah, I, if there was a moment, well, what is the moment where there is some uh, mm, reluctance slash second-guessing by Jesus? In the garden, not yeah. I would say not second guessing, but certainly. Well, second guessing in ter- I meant it in terms of man, is there another way? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah. It's because he literally says to the Father, "If there is another way, please let it. Please take this cup from me." Is what he says. But he knew there, there anything, wasn't. But he knew this there's not. Yeah, right. He knew from all eternity there wasn't. So. Yeah. So this is the Christ that now. In the sermon, he's talking about Bonhoeffer's talking about the the Christ who is with us is the one who did the things in Philippians two. Right. Um, so that's, I guess that's context, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is in 1928. This is kind of early in Bonhoeffer's religious career. Um, so he begins by talking about mythology, mm-hmm. and you know, the mythological the gods walk amongst kind of stuff, you know. Right. Greek mythology, really all pagan mythology, gods walking among us is not necessarily a good thing, because the gods have. Yeah, it's kind of scary. Because they are not moral. The gods are not moral. They're not. They're capable of quite. Uh, Immoral things? Immoral things. I'm trying to think of the words <laughs> we used at Bible study this morning. Oh, my gosh. Lascivious or whatever that Lascivious was. Lascivious was one word. Um, um, Zeus raping women. Um, various gods doing malicious things to to other people. I mean, that does not compare well with uh, God walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. Right. That was a pure, at least temporarily, pure relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but he's saying the mythology just shows that we have um, a heartfelt need for God to be with us, amongst yeah. us. And then he goes on to say, um, this is in 1928, so I imagine it's amplified now, but in the midst of all the craziness of life and the people and the hustle and the bustle and the social media, people are desperately lonely. Yeah. And he uses the word homeless. I don't, right. not like homeless at Family of God, homeless, but... Um, not having a sense of belonging. Yeah, not having an anchor point in your life, yeah. So that's the challenge of modern living is the you know the more 
the more of us there are, the, the less we seem to actually relate to each other. Then he talks about, this is page two. Wow, page two. <laughs> the Very day good. that humanity raised its hand against God. Bottom of the page. Mm-hmm. And nailed Jesus to the cross. Oh, when man kills God? Yeah, well, thinks they've killed God. or When man completely rejects God and says, we don't want anything to do with you, so we're going to nail you to a cross? Yeah, well, actually, Deacon Ron, I don't, I'll be surprised if he listens to this today, but yeah, we talked about yesterday, We talk, he talked about how we are, Isaiah chapter 1, how we can be in rebellion against God. Um, can be? Can be, <laughs> yeah. I, and uh, one of our parishioners said, I would never be in rebellion against God. <laughs> so I had to explain to him the difference well, that between... Means. between I'm, my words, active and passive rebellion. Active rebellion, we just say, I, I, I see you up there, God, I'm shaking my fist at you. And I'm doing the and, opposite. And passive rebellion is acting as if there is no God. Right. Um, and, oh, we're quite capable of passive it's, rebellion. Yeah, it's still rebellion, no matter which way you cut it. At least like the first you, acknowledges there's a God. Right. You're shaking your fist at him. But, it's yeah. like cutting... It's like cutting cheese in cubes or slices. No matter which way you cut it, it's still cheese. <sighs> it's still stinky. Is that a bad analysis? Oh, I don't know. A bad analogy. Stinky cheese. <laughs> I don't know how we got to stinky cheese. Uh, rebellion. I mean, the rebellion stinks, man. That's what it is. Now you're making me think of that baseball movie where he says, throw that big stinking cheese. Big hunk of stinky cheese. Yes, yeah, the what rookie. What movie is that? Rookie of the Year. Yep. If you don't know it, he can he can he can quote the whole script from that movie. I love that movie. Sure. I was in a bar with him once, and it was running without the voice on, and he was telling me the lines. Yep. We don't go to. I love that movie too, so that's okay. Well, you you like it because of the Cubs. That too. Yeah, that's like a bonus. (laughs) Um, So even though we killed God, I'm going to say killed with quotes. We still have a yearning for God, I guess is what he's saying here. Right. And uh, Which is incredibly ironic to me that we have this yearning for God, and then when God comes to us, we reject him. Right? Right. We talk about this all the time. We, we want God to intervene. We want God to come to us to to do my bidding right and it's like when he when he helps us when he delivers us it's like well god what i actually meant was that you did this so i don't actually like the way that you delivered me you mean to tell me that i want to be saved i want to be delivered i want to live forever i but the way to do that is to die well i don't want to do that there's got to be something different to that and yeah. so we say, nope, that's not the one that I want. That's not the Messiah that I want. So to be a little bit uh, flippant, a little bit flippant, I think page two, top of three, yeah, we nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. We killed God. Then comes Easter, and he says, nice try. <laughs> hey, it's me again. 
I'm here. <sighs> What's that song? Hey, it's me again. <laughs> Do you know that song? No, I don't. And if I did, I wouldn't I admit it. I'll have to find it. So in the middle of the page, he talks about, and I think this is actually interesting. He's saying, well, everything we say is interesting. This is interesting in that um, God, he says God's word doesn't prescribe a path to find God. Uh, doesn't prescribe a, a path, to, you know, where can I find Jesus? He's, Bonhoeffer says, um, well, he's right here. Right. He's right here. Cheap trick, by the way. Why is it a cheap trick? I don't know. That's <laughs> the name of the man. Hey, it's me again. It's called Voices. Yeah, so I don't have to look for him. In fact, that's kind of a theme in this sermon is I don't have to look for him. He's, he's there right even when it's inconvenient that he's there. He's there. And uh, Yeah, I love what he says. This is the, the, it's the last full paragraph of, uh, on page three the very beginning of the paragraph, but if all this is indeed true, if Jesus is if Jesus is really with us, then God is also with us wherever we are. Um, oh, where'd it go? That wasn't the right spot. It was whether you, whether you want it or not, he's here. Where did I see that? It was when I was reading it before. Oh, maybe it's the next, hold on, because I saw it. There it is. Next it's page. Not chapter, it's, yeah, it's the next page. It's number f- uh, page five. Right in the middle. Remember, I am with you. This applies whether we want it to or not. <laughs> so God is with us, whether we want him to be with us or not. He's still with us. He's still here. So, I mean, a biblical story would be like Jonah trying to outrun God. Yeah. I'm going to go where you aren't, God. <laughs> right. And God laughs. Or... uh I think of Adam and Eve in the garden. I was listening to a podcast this morning, and they were talking about how when uh, when Adam and Eve sin, what do they do? They go and hide. And then as God is walking through the garden, he says, where are you? Did he really not know where Adam and Eve were? Well, if <laughs> that were he true, he's were. not God. So yeah. Right. He, of course he knew. It was just one of those things like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> I know where you've been or where you where you are. I know what you've done. So don't hide from me, because I'm right here. Yeah, well, they fessed up, didn't they? Well, I don't think they had a choice. They were confronted by God, and they had mm. no choice, which is a theological argument in and of itself. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't show ourselves to you because we're naked. Right. Well, how did you know you were the naked? The Bible verse that's not there is God saying, what's naked? Right. right. But, yeah. He said, he said, who told you you're naked? Like an elf, going back to the scene that we were talking about last he week. He showed me this cute picture, I'm, I'm humoring him, of a black cat in the white sink. Yeah, my cat. Yeah, your cat. What's its name? Uh, shade. Shade. There's no shade about it. It's black as sin. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, no, but it, it reminds me of the, uh, we were talking about the elf scene last week. Oh, yeah. And, and Jody's like, or Jovi's like, Sure, it had nothing to do with the fact that I was naked in the shower. And Buddy looks at her and says, "I didn't know you were naked." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, he probably wouldn't have in that in that context. Well, right. But yeah. Um, so your cat. Yes. Um, does your cat know it's naked? No. No. She has no shame whatsoever. I yeah. Imagine that's true. Neither and, does her uh, brother. Yeah. 
It's something distinctly human to realize that your dolphins don't know they're naked. Elephants don't know they're naked. Right. Dogs particularly don't know. I mean... Chimpanzees? No. No other creature has this concept of nakedness and shame. So... Yeah. So he says, the world is God's world. Wherever we go, we encounter God and Jesus, the resurrected, is with us. And he says, it's not metaphorical language. What does he mean by metaphorical language? So... It's not metaphorical language. So a lot of times what we will do when we're trying to um, either make ourselves feel better or comfort someone in our lives, whether it be a family, friend, et cetera, a lot of times what people will say, we, okay, we, we just heard this. So you know this. Everyone, most of our listeners hopefully know this. Uh, big Michigan fan, right? So Michigan just last weekend won the Big Ten title, and they played Purdue. Purdue's quarterback, Aiden O'Connell, just lost his brother. His brother died very unexpectedly two weeks ago. And so what they quoted Aiden O'Connell saying, something along the lines of, I know my brother is with me. Even, right, even, though, he's di- even though he's died, I know my brother is with me, right? And we'll say that to, as a way of comforting, and we mean the best when we say it. Well, Oh, I know your mom died. I know your dad died. I know your grandma died. But don't worry, he or she is with you. I know she's with the really you, right? scary words. She's watching over right, you. Right, right. Do you want your grandma and great grandma watching no, you every intimate moment? No. no, I didn't think but so. But I think, but like, but that's the meta. That's the metaphor. Yeah. That's it's. Well, she's with me. You, she's with me, with you. But she's not really with you, right? Because she's not actually physically here. So when God says, I am with you, when he sends Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, this isn't just a, I'm with you in spirit. It's, I am physically with you. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, I am here with you. Even when it's inconvenient. Even when it's inconvenient, absolutely. Yeah. So there's an old Twilight Zone episode. I don't remember the name of it. doesn't matter. But the whole premise is that the grandparents died, but they only come to life in this Twilight Zone when their family members remember them. Oh. And it's kind of like, that's kind of like the grandma's watching over mm-hmm. you. As long as you remember her, she's there. Keep you forget her, her she's gone kind of thing. Anyway, but... Well, that's why we have like those remembrance services. Is why people have pictures up in you know in their in their living room or whatever. Um, oh, just a big think tradition. of Southwest and the Day of the Dead and the family I just, altars. I was just gonna say the and the and the candles that are lit. We go by these a lot. It's a tradition in our in our neighborhood. When someone dies, a lot of times at the spot of where they died, there's one there's one on Livernois right before the viaduct mm-hmm. as you're going towards ninety four and it seems like every time that I go by it, because uh, I don't always go that way, but it seems like every time that I go by it, there's this like wall, this mural that's there, wall painting. Yep. And then it's got five or six candles that are lit all the time. Because as long as this candle is burning, this person's memory remains alive, and therefore it's as if they're with us. So God, God is not with you metaphorically. God is with you, actually. That's the promise in Jesus. Yeah, so I am not recommending a Disney anything. 
but there is a Disney movie called Coco. Have you seen that? I didn't. That's one of the it's few Hispanic, movies I have it's not seen. It's Day of the Dead, and the whole theme is that. Um, the whole theme is that you only exist in the afterlife as long as your family remembers you, particularly on the Day of the Dead. And so, uh, nothing is more tragic in that circumstances for you to not have a family or a family that has mm-hmm. forgotten you. So, wow. But that's not how God is. So thanks be to God for that. Thanks be to God for that. Yeah. So he says here in the middle of page four, Jesus is with us in his words. I might change that to in his word. Mm-hmm. And he's also with us, next sentence, in his will. And by his word and by his will, we actually know him. Then he says an example, if you know a person's word and know that person's will, then you know that person, person. Yep. completely or entirety. And so... Well, I think practically speaking, that's good. So if I know your teachings, and you've taught me a lot over these nine and a half years or whatever it's been, and I also know your intentions, I know your will, and so I feel like I know you better than most people than that, that know that's you. Scary. Outside of, that is scary. I, that I, is scary. I, yeah, it is scary. Um, but outside of maybe Susan or your daughter's, I feel like I know you the best, and because I've known and you're your still words, here. I've heard your words, and I'm still here, right? I've heard your words, and you know, and you, and in those words, you have shared with me your desires and what you want, specifically about family of God and the direction of family of God, and we've been able to do that. And so, I feel like I know you in your entirety. I think that that speaks the same for Jesus too. We know his words. His word is right in front of us. I'm touching it right here. Mm-hmm. And then we also know his will because it's revealed to us in the word right here. So he, he says the, the next sentence is a typical Bonhoeffer. It's called dialectic dialectic statement where two things are put into. Oh, uh, yes. Put into a conflict. He says, um, Jesus' word is always one and the same and yet it's also always different. <laughs> Thanks for <laughs> being confusing. <laughs> That's clear. Uh, but then he goes on to explain that it's different in, in the moment. Next couple, three paragraphs. It's, it's sure. different when you're a child. It's different when you're uh, a young person, young adult, married, parent, middle-aged, elderly, God's word never changes, but it's different for you. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. We, we see it, sense it has a different weight or meaning depending on where we are uh, in life. So it means, it doesn't mean differently or mean different things. It's the same promise because I, I love what he says at the bottom of that second to last paragraph, baptism to the grave, the word of the church or the word of Christ accompanies us, places us under the assurance of the word, which is remember I am with you. So it's the same word, but it applies differently to you when you're a child, when you're a young adult, when you're married, 
and when you're uh, wise, <laughs> not old, wise. Yeah. But it's just a good reminder, I think. And, and, and that, that goes for all of God's Word. It's why we tell people to, once you finish the Bible, read it again. Even if you've read the text 18 times, read it a 19th time. That reminds me of the first President Bush, George, or did Herbert Walker Bush? Yes, H.W. He says, I read the Bible all the way through once. Once. I don't understand my why, why my son keeps reading it. Right, right, right. Because his son talked about it. His son had read it many times, all the way right. through. And so, okay, it meant one thing to him and something altogether different. But here's an example. He says, to the elderly, um, God's word uh, speaks about um, that world from which death separates us and about last things. It's the same word, but to a 14-year-old, it doesn't carry the same weight, right. not the same comfort, not the same direction, because you, at 14, you don't think, well, you think you're immortal, actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's when you're 30, you begin to realize, mm, maybe not so immortal. <laughs> Has that happened to you yet? No. No? Uh, sometimes I think I am immortal. Like when I <laughs> set up some jerry rig to get into my house. <laughs> it's incredibly dangerous, but I need to get into the house. Yeah, but that's something when you were 20-ish, you wouldn't have thought of as reckless. But when you're 30-ish, climbing up the drain spout, even if you have to, does seem a little reckless. Yeah. Because bad a, things could happen. I could fall yeah, and break a, something. And... Right, or a single two-by-four on two chairs. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Just to prop me up to get into the window. I locked my keys in the house yesterday and uh, needed to get inside <laughs> by any means necessary. It was one of those things where you, uh, you're you appalled at how actually how easy it was to get into your house. And so you spend the rest of the afternoon fortifying it. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like the uh, I felt like Kevin McAllister in Home Alone. Yeah, I know. This is my house. I have to defend it. When you turn 31, if you ever do, because I think you actually are probably 35. I turned 31 <laughs> in February. March. Yes. March, okay. Yeah, that'll be time to get a spare key and say, I need to hide this. And uh, Yeah, but don't tell anyone where I put it. Don't even tell yourself. Right, right. <laughs> All right. And then he talks about um, when God's present is presence is irksome. Irksome, we don't use that word, but irksome. Troublesome. Uh, what, what might be another word for irksome? Troublesome, annoying. inconvenient, annoying, stronger than annoying or inconvenient. But, yeah. Really, God, are you really going to watch me while I deliberately rebel against you? Yes. <sighs> so that I can discipline you afterward. That's what he says. He says, mm, we all know there are such moments. These are the moments of God's judgment upon us. Um, God is with us. Uh, suddenly the consequences of this word become transparent. 
if God is with us and yet we are not with God, what happens then? There's a good question. Uh, hmm. God is with us and we are not with God. And he never leaves us or forsakes us. Right. Mm. I mean, that's to me, that goes back to what Jesus says in, what is it, John 15, right? He's talking about being, he's the vine, we are the branches, abide in me and I will abide in you, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm here, but if you're not going to stay with me, because essentially what that word abide means is to stay with Jesus, meditate on Jesus, be with Jesus, have everything that you do flow from Jesus. If you don't do that, then Jesus isn't going to work, I suppose. It's not that he can't work. He's just not going to because you're not in him. Is that too Baptist? I don't know. <laughs> that may be Old Testament-ish. You know, what was, well, this would be New Testament. What was said in secret will be told from the rooftops, and, you know, every idle word will be revealed. Um, we want to think, we want to pretend God is not with us, or at least he's turning a blind eye to what we're doing when we shouldn't be doing what we're doing. When it doesn't work that way is what he's upon offer is saying. It doesn't work that way. He's right there. Um, Are you talking about Luke? Luke 12? Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark yeah. shall be heard in the light. I thought I what said you New Testament. Right? In, I was confused. Oh. Therefore, whatever you said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Yes. Elsewhere, it talks about every idle word will become be, be brought before the judgment. So don't look that up. Anyway, <laughs> that is actually, a ter- again, maybe Bonhoeffer-ish is saying this is a heavy burden to know that God is actually... Actually, it's the essence of confession because we're back to Warnock. Um, confession is telling the truth, hopefully, um, to a God who already knows. And so it's like the old story of you know, your mom's watching the, out the window when you, I think you've told a story like this, when you do something wicked and she's seen you do it, hmm. but she's waiting for you to confess that you did it. Yeah. So that she can say, I know. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, it's, uh, God, why don't you go clean your room, right? I know you didn't do it, but uh, I, the same podcast that I mentioned before, they were talking about this morning, they said, don't go chasing confessions. Don't go chasing confessions. So don't force your child to confess, confess. Because they will eventually confess. And I think that's how parents know that, which is why your mom will do all these crafty things to lead you to confess without hounding you for a confession. Does that make sense? You mean guilt casting? Sure. Let the law do what the law does. Hmm. It's God who draws the confession and the repentance out of us anyway. It's never us. So he kind of sums this up here at the bottom of five by saying, this thus a heavy burden is suddenly placed upon us. Once we take seriously the statement, remember I am with you. Ugh. 
always to the very end of the Then there's dot, 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 dot. Then it says, but the God who assigns guilt, doesn't say that, assigns guilt, also (laughs) gives and forgives. Yes. And so... It's taken us 46 minutes, but we are at the gospel. (laughs) Yeah, where God's judgment is, there also is God's grace. Well, that's, that's the manger. This is where... God's grace is because this is this is the one who is going to save the world. This is the one who is going to redeem the world. This is the one by whom all people who believe in him will be saved. But he's not just grace and mercy and compassion because that's not all of God's character. He's also the judge. It's judgment. He's also the judge. He is... Judgment is an outcome of his holiness, though. He right. doesn't judge because he loves to judge. He judges because he's holy and cannot. Right. He cannot look upon sin. Right. That's that's what it what that is. And so, so Jesus coming into this world, Jesus being born. When we see that baby, yes, that is our Messiah. But that's the price, because Jesus, that's in the manger, is going to grow up and endure the wrath of God in its entirety. That's God's judgment, right? God's judgment of the world does not come out on the world right now, Mm. but it comes out on his son. So that's very true, I think. Where God's judgment is, there also is God's grace. It's 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 that paradox or juxtaposition. I don't know the difference between the two. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, it's it's that tension. That we talk about. I like what he says. Did God come into the world and live life in the world in order to ruin that world? No. Did God send his world to condemn the world? No. Or send his son into the world to condemn the world? No. God wants to give the life to the world as much of the divine life as the world wants. God wants to draw close into blessed partnership those who are lonely and all who seek life with God. I am with you always. God lives, lives in the world, lives for the world, lends it meaning and life, makes it our home, gives our own life a relationship to eternity and closeness to God. That is the grace that we take with us from this passage. That's beautiful. Well, yeah, it's, it's beautiful, but it's followed by what I would call a sucky part. But one more thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Here's all the goodness. Jesus Christ. But- Jesus Christ also encounters us in every step we take, okay, in every person we meet. Ooh, remember I'm with you, he says. Jesus Christ, God himself, speaks to us from every human being, the other person, the enigmatic, the impenetrable you, is God's claim on us. Indeed, it is the holy God in person whom we encounter. God's claim is made on us in the wanderer on the street, the beggar at the door, the sick person at the door of the church, though certainly no less in every person near to us, in every person whom, with whom we are together daily. He might as well have just put family of God. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Matthew 25, 4, just as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. Maybe this, those, maybe this uh, is over the top a little bit, but it's infinitely easier 
to be Christ to someone in need than to see Christ in someone in need. Yeah. This is one of those statements you we were talking that? about. No, I heard you. <laughs> that was one of those statements where we've talked about this. You just preached a sermon. I've talked about you know, writing sermons and being convicted within your own sermons, and that sucks when that happens. <laughs> and you feel about this big when it happens. And because you yeah, want to go law, 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 law. You said it differently. You say I got convicted when I wrote it. I said yeah, I got convicted when I preached it. Right. it. Yeah, that's worse. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you, that's <laughs> worse. But I, I think this is one of those things too, where you read this and you're just like, oh snap, yes, we we all the time. I think I think about this with family of God people when they come to family of God and they're like, oh, we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Yes, but what are you forgetting? You're serving Jesus. Jesus is there in that line asking you for a second helping of food, asking you for a scarf. No, no, not asking, demanding. Demanding, right. Why is his piece of meatloaf bigger than right. mine? And we forget that all the time. One of my biggest pet peeves when I hear people talk about mission is we're going to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's fine. I agree with you. But you're missing so much. First of all, Jesus is already there, right? Jesus is already at family of God, whether the Christ our Savior people come down on Mondays or not, right? That's true. He's, he's in Honduras. He's in Belize, whether you go or not. But so you're going there to serve him. And then what ends up happening, ultimately, I think, is that he serves you because your faith grows. Fair? That's our second that's our second tier of ministry. Yeah, I hear you, but it's still sucky. I, I yes, it, it yes, is it hard. Is, it is. It's very hard. It is very hard, especially when you really know the person that is to be Jesus to you and you know you know far too much about their um sinful life. And you should yep. know, or yep. comfortable knowing. Yeah, it's hard. It's yeah. So I want to close because we're getting close to time here. So, by the way, "sucky" is not a theological word. No, it's not. <laughs> so I want to read this last paragraph. I want you to just to react. I'm sure you've already read it, but you close your book so I might get a more authentic reaction. So he says, this is how he closes. I am for you and you are for me, is God's claim, God's very self. In this recognition, our gaze opens to the fullness of divine life in the world. Now, life in the human community acquires its divine meaning. This community itself is one of the forms of God's revelation. God is with us as long as there is community. I love that, first of all. Bonhoeffer is a big advocate for community, i.e. life together, right? Mm -hmm. The most profound meaning of our ties to social life is that through it, we are tied all the more securely to God. Remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And again, we hear about the last things. 
I am the first and the last, from Isaiah 41.4, Revelation 1.17. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, from Hebrews 13.8. Such are the words we hear. Jesus is Lord of the ages and is always with his own, even when things are difficult, and will abide with us. That is our comfort. If tribulation and anxiety come upon us, Jesus is with us and leads us over into God's eternal kingdom. Jesus Christ is the breadth of our life and of our community. Jesus Christ is with us to the end of the world. And he says, this is the gift of Easter. But I'm going to say, this is the gift of Christmas. It's the promise that Jesus is with you. That's what it is. God is with you. That's what Emmanuel means. And so Jesus coming into this world, because after he dies, rises, ascends, he remains a man. So he's always with us, one of us, with us, right? Oh, now you're ready for me to comment? Yes. Wow. That sounded like a mini sermon. Um, Well, I just read the sermon. (laughs) My reaction is to the I am for you and you are for me. Yeah, I thought about that for a second. Well, I thought about it more than a second because that, theoretically, that sounds wonderful and it sounds like later Bonhoeffer, Uh single-minded obedience to Christ Uh or single-minded devotion to Christ. Uh But I am for you and you are for me calls for uh, what I would theoretically wish for, but in my flesh I'm not so sure of, the total abandonment of myself to God. Um, I can get up to the edge of that cliff and I might peer over it, but I can't get myself to jump. That is how it should be, but it's not how our human nature rebels against that, I guess. Yeah. Is, yeah, I think, is God sufficient for me? Theoretically, yes. Metaphorically, yes. Well, truthfully, he is, too. And, and Empirically, but yes. Right. But in every day, you know, I want my little right. places that I have reserved for myself. Um, and so I am for you and you are for me, I think, is a very profound truth and... Even guys who lock themselves up in monasteries can't achieve that. <laughs> right. Um, I like, I think the whole God is for you, that's absolutely 100% true. I can get, a, get on board with that with no questions asked. It's the... Thing you've got for me. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's the, it's the we are for God because I disagree with that actually. Um, and I think Paul in chapter seven of Romans speaks to that. Our our nature is to be against God. And so that's why when who is it, Joshua says, My house, we're gonna serve the Lord. Who will you serve? And then Jesus <laughs> like, say. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna serve the Lord. And Joshua's like, Nope, nope, you're not. Because that's that's the nature. When you mm. are given a choice, you won't serve God, which is why 
Jesus breaks into our lives. I haven't done this in a while, so brace yourself. I was there when you took your marriage vows. Yes, you were. And your marriage vows could be distilled down to you say, you, I am for you and you are for me. Right? Yep. What, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that that sounded great in the moment, but the reality is there are a thousand pressures to make that not true. How many times? Well, I mean, every, every little thing that when we get into an argument and I say something stupid, am I for my wife there? No. I'm not. Does that change the way that I feel about her? No. Does that change the way that she feels about me? No. But I'm not 100% devoted to her all the time. No marriage is like that. But I think it's a. this is why God chooses to talk about marriage so often. And one of the best Bible studies that Vicar Nick did when he was with us was the kind of taking that theme of marriage and weaving it throughout Scripture. This before he was married? Yeah, this is before he was married. Oh, okay. But he he did a really great job showing us that, yes, marriage is a reflection of God's relationship with us because we aren't for God, <laughs> yet God continues to be for us and continues to love us, care for us, provide for us, even when we're not living up to our end of the bargain, our vows, so to speak. So it's not a reality, I'm for you and you are for me, or the marital vows, but I would say it's um, a direction, maybe an aspirational direction. This is where I want to be going. Yeah. Yeah. And... uh, I will never get there, but this is, you know, if I started walking to Fairbanks, Alaska, I'll never get there, but I could at least be walking in that direction. That's right. right? That's right. Why won't I ever get there? Some polar bear will eat me, but. <laughs> well, <laughs> not if they're all extinct. Um, Thanks, climate change. Yeah. Well, they're hungry, and we should just sacrificially give our lives to the right, polar bears. Right, right. Because they are hungry. Yes, that's right. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. That's going to do it for us. Uh, We are going to be back next week with something Adventy again. And that sounds like a Starbucks size Adventy. So we'll be talking about that. Uh, We've been also been we've also been in the discussion of kind of a different direction that we might take come January. We're going to talk about some contemporaries of Bonhoeffer and the other sufferings of some of the other people and kind of launched that into that kind of, those kinds of conversations. I think we're, we're a little nervous about that, but I also think it's exciting. Numbers have been going up for us. That means that you guys have been sharing, you've been talking about it. Uh, thank you for referring other people to listen. Uh, your reviews help to make that possible. So little more information on that as the week weeks progress so we're excited uh, nonetheless so have a great week everyone great weekend and we will chat with everyone next time for a brand new episode no one's told you that god loves you and so do we take care